You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. Hi, and welcome to SpyCast. From the secret files of the International Spy Museum in Washington, D.C., I'm Dr. Vince Houghton, the museum's historian and curator. Every week, the museum brings you interesting conversations with authors, scholars, and practitioners who live in the world of global espionage. Join us as we take a closer look at the secret world of intelligence. I'd like to thank our two sponsors for this SpyCast, Harry's and Blue Apron. Thank you for continuing to be integral members of the SpyCast family. you hear more about them later, but first, let's meet our guest. So we're joined today by Ilya Zavzlovsky, who is a former employee of the oil company TNKBP, which is a subsidiary of the Anglo-American company British Petroleum, where in 2008, he was accused falsely of being a spy by the Russian FSB and security services controlled by Russian oligarchs. He is now a visiting senior fellow at the Legatum Institute and also writes for think tanks in Washington, D.C. Apart from academic work, he continues as an energy consultant for U.S. and European companies, focusing on analysis of regulatory risks in developing countries and the spread of corrosive practices to the West. Thank you, Ilya, for taking the time to talk to us here at SpyCast. Thanks for having me. So you are Russian in background, but you have U.S. citizenship. Your, your, your parents came over here to the United States. They wanted a better future uh, for, for you and your family. Um, what made you eventually want to go back to Russia? Uh, because Russia's going back there is what got you in a bit of trouble. Uh, but what were you originally doing? What, what were you doing when you were working for this oil company? Uh, essentially, uh, uh, we got uh, U.S. citizenship uh, because we had relatives here. And uh, to be frank, as a young person, uh, uh, I, I thought that Russia was changing for better. And uh, um, I treated U.S. citizenship as um, sort of my uh, insurance yeah. and uh, uh, something that I might uh, use more in future. But I wanted to go back to Russia and uh, do positive changes. I graduated from Oxford University in 2004, and uh, uh, most Russians wanted to stay in the West, but uh, there were still quite a few, not, not just me, who wanted to go back and... Uh, uh, I was very interested in uh, energy efficiency and Kyoto Protocol. Uh, I was fascinated by some presentations uh, in Oxford from oil companies. And I thought, uh, you know, there was future for Russia together with Western companies to do something uh, good for Russia in the long term. I mean, this is a time when people are already kind of starting to whisper about Putin and his cronies. But no one, probably in the West, certainly realized what level it was going to get to eventually. Yes, there was already uh, a UCAS affair by the time I, I went back, but people were still talking about uh, legal and administrative reforms, uh, uh, and uh, there were plenty of Western companies ex expanding their uh, 
presence in Russia. So I was um, uh, disillusioned and understood all about the regime only by around 2006, 2007. Well, this is a time you had a U.S. citizenship. You work for a British oil company. Uh, You're friends with people in the British Council and other Westerners. This seems like it's ready-made for them, very convenient to call you a spy uh, when they wanted to raid BP. So you can talk a little, people are like, what do you mean they wanted to raid BP? Can you talk a little bit about what the Russian government was trying to do and was using you to try to do during this time? Yes, I was one of the pretexts to do uh, corporate trading in Russian style. Uh, in uh, in the West, the corporate trading is usually understood by some aggressive acquisition or merger. Uh, Russian style, it's uh, bringing uh, uh, 100 policemen in uh, uniforms and black masks, uh, laying everyone on the floor, uh, searching uh, offices for uh, two days nonstop. Uh, it's uh, propaganda on TV and radio, uh, accusing um, British managers of uh, being a, and British Council being a spy platform, or me being head of uh, Ukrainian spying, uh, uh, with uh, no uh, diving into details, but right. just uh, broad accusations. Uh, I, uh, th- at the time, uh, uh, Russian uh, state companies, uh, helped by uh, Russian security services, FSB. And Russian shareholders of 10 KBP with their own security. They wanted to take over uh, BP's assets in, in Russia. And for that, they made an assault on uh, about seven fronts on the company. So I was one of the central uh, fronts, a fabricated spy case, but uh, not the only one. So back tax claims, environmental claims, uh, all of a sudden, uh, they have like seven labor inspections. Uh, wrong visas for British managers, and so forth. The list is is uh, endless. Well, I mean, this is really redefining the concept of hostile takeover. I mean, this is this is as heavy-handed as it gets. I, a lot of people may not have heard of this case. Did it receive any media coverage? Was was this something your case in particular, but also the takeover of BP? Was it something that was known around the world, or was it kept tightly inside Russia? Interestingly, it received two waves of uh, sh- short-term. Uh, attention from from global media so uh, on the day of our arrest uh, uh, it was me and my brother who who were detained uh, uh, all global media from New York Times uh, CNN to uh, European media and Russian media they covered this but they didn't have a clue they just said two brothers accused of espionage uh, and had to make some uh, uh, conclusions based on rumors and uh, because there was uh, the only information that was released was by FSB, right. which said that, which said some absurd things like uh, uh, they said they found CIA business cards on us, uh, and uh, <laughs> because any, any self-respecting <laughs> spy would be carrying around the CIA business cards, like obviously, and they exist. You know, uh, all CIA agents are, are issued with uh, CIA business cards and gold, yes. and uh, uh, they pass it to their agents. Uh, uh, and uh, the second wave was uh, during our uh, verdict in uh, May 2009. Uh, uh, essentially, uh, I had to uh, dig and understand, uh, piece together all the things from the case uh, after I left Russia in 2010. And it was only by 2012 when I put the whole picture together, uh, including by using WikiLeaks, 
WikiLeaks covered the case uh, quite extensively through uh, reports of uh, BP managers to American embassy in Moscow. And uh, those uh, reports uh, reveal a lot. They show that BP understood at the time very well who they're dealing with. Um, they, they, uh, the about 150 managers from BP were harassed by KGB methods. They were followed on the streets. Uh, uh, their apartments were invaded. Uh, they've been uh, invited to all sorts of aggressive uh, interrogations. Uh, the, they experienced searches. Uh, some sensitive information on their salaries and contracts uh, been taken through the pretext of my case. Uh, and uh, I'm, I'm going to pass some mm -hmm. protocols of searches uh, which uh, uh, I received uh, eventually, but were never included in my case, uh, which fares back carried in 10 KBP offices. Well, I mean, that's one of the interesting things. I mean, for people that know the American justice system, the defendant is usually supposed to get all the information against them, all the evidence against them. Now, sometimes it doesn't happen, but usually that leads to appeals and other things like that. It's not just that the FSB framed you for something. It's that there was cooperation all the way up the justice system. There were corrupt judges, corrupt prosecutors. This was a systematic effort to try to delegitimize BP's place in Russia and also to frame you for some kind of a, a spy ring. Uh, absolutely. Uh, I mean, uh, just one quick fact which shows the nature of this uh, uh, trial and this whole uh, incident. Uh, my judge and my uh, the main prosecutor who approved my case uh, going to the court, they are now on a so-called Magnitsky list. It's a U.S. Congress list of gross human rights violators. Uh, the same year when I was treated in Tverskoy District Court, uh, there was uh, a case of Sergei Magnitsky, a lawyer who tried to defend um, Hermitage Capital uh, managers and uh, a violent takeover of their company. And he eventually was murdered by Russian officials uh, in 2009. And um, uh, some of the officials from my case participate, uh, participated uh, in his case as well. Let me, let me carry off. I was going to talk about that later, but now this is a good segue for it. I mean, a lot of people may know about the case of Litvinenko, about Mikhail Asin, who died here in Washington. Those are just the really public cases. This isn't something that only happens a couple times. Within Russia, within that part of the world, there are people who are just dying mysteriously. All that, and only the ones that we know about was this polonium poisoning or somebody dying in D.C. that become news in the Western world. But this is this is a real trend within Russia itself. Indeed, and uh, in my case, um, uh, what I eventually found out is that uh, not only Western managers were harassed uh, and uh, intimidated with uh, possible consequences, some of them uh, uh, were directly told at the, uh, on the way to airport, for example, that they shouldn't come to Russia, otherwise they would face uh, some violence. But uh, head of uh, BP, uh, uh, sorry, head of 10K BP at the time, uh, Robert Dudley, who is now CEO of BP, uh, according to some media publications, he was uh, poisoned uh, at the time when he didn't want to leave Russia during this conflict. And that was a hint to him that he should leave. Yeah. Uh, pretty strong hint. Yes, pretty strong hint. And yeah. uh, he uh, neither confirms nor denies that, but uh, informally, when I spoke with some people involved in this uh, uh, incident. I did uh, an informal. I did get an informal confirmation of this incident. So, Russians started poisoning uh, people, uh, uh, and, and they continue to do that uh, as sort of uh, a, a method. Right. I mean, for a lot of Americans that don't quite understand 
how Russian companies work because it's not like this is Apple doing a hostile takeover of Microsoft. The Russian oil companies like Gazprom, these are technically independent companies, but all the top shareholders, all the top people are Russian government officials, including Vladimir Putin. So there's no real private industry going on here. This is a Russian government takeover. Uh, absolutely. Uh, this case shows uh, all the involvement of the state from uh, labor inspections and visa immigration offices to FASB to uh, statements by government officials. Uh, in fact, uh, Deputy Prime Minister Shuvalov at some point said that uh, he had to personally to in- interfere in the case. Um, and uh, uh, not, ne- not necessarily on, on behalf of BP, uh, which uh, is quite revealing. Uh, I, uh, I believe that, um, uh, th- in fact, it's very uh, misleading for American audience to think of existence of uh, law enforcement, market, private property uh, in Russia. They don't. They don't exist. They, uh, and that's the main problem for U- uh, U.S. businessmen dealing and U.S. government dealing with Russia. Uh, in a way, it should be considered a legally failed state because... Uh, uh, s- s- corruption goes uh, so so much to the top level that uh, we cannot talk about um, uh, any basic legal rights. Right. Well, I mean, you argue, and I think this is certainly something that people need to pay attention to, that the people who are in charge, the oligarchs, the, the powerful people, the kleptocrats at the top come from three different circles. So the people like Putin and Medvedev and, and the Russian government, these aren't normal politics. Like, in the United States, we rip on our politicians for being a little crooked here, a little taking too much money from a lobbyist there. That's a whole other ball game in Russia. What what three circles? What three broad organizations is the majority of the people from the Russian government coming from? I tried to put my story in broader context, and for that, I did research uh, for think tanks uh, since I moved to, to to United States, and I find that. Uh, values and practices of Russian officials and actual, their actual background very often comes from free circles, Communist Party, KGB, or other secret services, and organized criminal groups. Um, they um, all share... Uh, they took the worst from each group and now share sort of um, basic uh, values that uh, they should only deal with very strong men in the West, like themselves, right. uh, only with wealthy individuals that the rest of the p- public are uh, prison camp dust, as they call it, uh, uh, n- nobodies mm-hmm. at the end of the hierarchy, uh, that individual life doesn't cost anything, uh, and that uh, everyone is open for manipulation or control. Uh, so they believe it for uh, that they can employ it for Russian citizens, but they also believe that they can employ it for Western citizens. Well, and I think that's the tricky thing. I think if this was just happening inside Russia, we wouldn't be paying a whole lot of attention to it. I mean, Russia is a big and powerful country, but there are a lot of corrupt countries around the world. But the fact that you argue that they're trying to essentially export this corruption to try to undermine democratic institutions in the West, to undermine our laws, our values, our practices, um, and, and to me, most deviously, is to try to lead Western public opinion in bad directions. And, and we'll talk about that a little bit later, so I want to kind of hold off. But one thing I want to point the audience to is something that uh, you've been involved in, and this is putting together this kleptocracy archive, which I think is a really great resource for anybody wanting to know more about this. Can you talk a little bit about that? 
Yes, there is a, a so-called cryptocurrency initiative at Hudson Institute, and um, I've been helping them with passing some of the documents from my case and uh, facilitating uh, uh, the transfer from other cases. Uh, it's uh, uh, intended as a public resource for uh, studying and understanding uh, of uh, uh, not only Russian corruption and individual cases, but that it's a systemic, um, uh, a systemic, uh, a systemic. Um, uh, situation, uh, um, systemic phenomenon uh, uh, in post-Soviet space uh, in Russia and neighboring countries like uh, Kazakhstan, Ukraine, Azerbaijan. Uh, we, some of the oligarchs from those countries are very rich and they have uh, uh, long hands uh, and long reach into the West uh, and many, uh, in many ways uh, for lobby groups, media acquisitions, uh, hiring dignitaries, uh, getting funding and then a, a name or some association with universities and research programs. Uh, and uh, I, I talk about, uh, there are several levels of um, export of corrosive practice. Some of them are outright criminal, like bribing and corruption and murders, as which you mentioned. But a lot of it is, uh, is um, sort of highly debatable and uh, uh, distributable. It's, uh, uh, but not necessarily defined by law. Right. Uh, so just uh, sketchy. Just yeah, sketchy. I mean, yeah. I mean, some of these uh, cases go to uh, New York and uh, London courts, and we learn uh, about the practices that the Russian oligarchs uh, use against each other. The so-called krisha uh, roof, uh, which is a protection uh, system from uh, superiors, uh, many of whom come from uh, KGB or party or criminal background, or uh, just uh, passing. Uh, cash, a bit big transactions and cash, but um, a lot of subversion is coming through uh, uh, through um, trying to persuade to to influence uh, public discourse. Uh, so, um, or actually censoring public discourse. Uh, so, um, for example, uh, there are. Uh, universities uh, and, and school programs where they, they would take money from oligarchs and they uh, would stop mentioning uh, any critical uh, analysis of Putin, uh, right. oligarchs, uh, background of all these uh, government officials or conflict in Ukraine. And they would uh, come up with this um, sort of uh, uh, seemingly plausible um, suggestions that we should not uh, engage in cold war with Russia. We should sort of um, appease it, but they wouldn't say appease it. Right. But, uh, so some of the uh, uh, some of the messages would be done by so-called useful idiots, uh, just people who genuinely believe it for uh, because they don't like establishment in the West and they are ready to uh, sort of jump to the other side right. uh, just because they hate the, their own establishment so much. Uh, and they don't want to really dig into and understand Russian establishment. Right. Uh, but some of these people are, who m send these messages, I think they are uh, very cynical and they've been uh, morally corrupted by uh, Russian or other post-Soviet oligarchs. And uh, this is exactly what is very dangerous and what I'm trying to raise awareness of. Let me take a quick two minutes to tell you more about Harry's. Stop compromising on her shave and get started today. For far too long, you've either paid too much for a comfortable shave, or you've settled for a low price but low quality razor. Harry's offers something you've never had before, a great shave at a fair price. 
Harry's makes its own high-quality razors, cuts out the middleman, and ships them directly to you for half the price of the leading brand. Good shave, good price. It's simple. Get the best of both with Harry's. Now, I know everyone tells you they have the best products, and you get inundated with ads across all mediums saying that this product or that product is the best. You, the listener, are probably a lot like me. Smart, educated, refined, ravishingly good-looking. Did I miss anything? Right. We don't fall for silly ads promising things that just aren't true. That's why I want to tell you more about how Harry's manufactures their razors. They bought a German factory, which means they own the entire process, from grinding high-grade steel to sending razors to your door. This means that they can continually innovate to make your shave even better. Their team in Germany has been grinding high-grade steel into some of the world's sharpest blades since 1920. Today, more than 400 German engineers, designers, craftsmen, and production workers build and operate sophisticated, custom equipment that produces millions of precision blades every year. What this means for you, their blades will get even better. Your shave will get even better. They'll listen to your feedback of what what makes a great shave and use their expertise to develop products that deliver you that experience. So Harry's starter set, called the Truman, is a great option for new customers and an amazing deal. For just $15, you get a razor handle, moisturizing shave cream, and three of Harry's five-blade German-engineered razors. Plus, there's a special offer for listeners of this show. Harry's will give you $5 off your first purchase with the promo code SPYCAST. Go to harrys.com right now and look for the Truman set. That's H-A-R-R-Y-S dot com. Enter the code SPYCAST at checkout to get $5 off and help support the show. Stop compromising. Give Harry's a try today. Let me, let me take a step back and, and work our way back to the end of the Cold War, because I, I think a lot of our listeners will be interested to know uh, how did all these people become incredibly powerful and incredibly rich? Because there's a lot of people who have different hypotheses out there about how all of a sudden the people who are in charge are organized crime, the intelligence agencies, and the Communist Party. Um, and when I, I spent some time in Russia, and when I noticed that there's no middle class, you know, the cars on the streets are either $80,000 BMWs or these little junkers that are falling apart that are put together. It, it seems as though the people who had already been doing capitalism back in the 1980s, when it was still the Soviet Union, meaning organized crime, meaning the Communist Party system, meaning the intelligence communities, were perfectly placed when communism fell to take full advantage of the new system. Is that the kind of conventional wisdom coming out of Russia? There, everything you say is correct. I mean, there is a sort of uh, small residual, I would say, middle class in Russia, but it's very different in its nature. It, it's uh, mainly bureaucrats or office managers depend, uh, dependent on uh, state budgets and state cash flows. So uh, Putin built this amazing system where everyone depends on the state uh, and the top uh, elite depends on him personally. Uh, actually, uh, a perfect uh, uh, one of the uh, perfect examples of that is how he actually came to power in uh, St. Petersburg in 1990s uh, by organizing all sorts of uh, schemes uh, and frauds uh, where he would implicate not only himself and his I- inner circle, but top officials, including uh, mayor of the city and some uh, top officials within the government, who then had to shield him. Um, and some of these officials um, are actually now oligarchs and sort of pretend to be liberals like Peter Ivan, uh, who personally shielded him uh, uh, in uh, 1992. Um, I, I would say that... Uh, um, the, another, uh, oh, f- there are two main reasons how uh, uh, these people got so rich and got such uh, um, power in the West. 
Uh, firstly, there was a lot of property in Soviet Union, and it was uh, obviously looted and uh, uh, corporate traded, uh, or, uh, both in 1990s and 2000s. So sometimes uh, some of this property would get into private hands, maybe not so ethically, but then would people would start to try to uh, run it uh, on um, the rails of Western capitalism, but then they would get corporate raided and taken over. So one of the famous cases is Yukas, of course, but uh, there are other like uh, Sunrise Company by uh, uh, Sergei Babilov. He's uh, he's been harassed by my judge and the same oligarchs. Um, uh, but but uh, the second reason is because uh, many of these uh, oligarchs and ex-KGB uh, turned uh, wealthy businessmen, uh, they receive a lot of support uh, in the West. There is a whole wealth defense um, industry uh, who helps them uh, to... Um, uh, a whole uh, wealth defense industry which helps them to... Uh, legalize their uh, money in the West and actually invest it in the West. Um, and also, uh, there is, uh, the system itself is quite open and porous. Um, so one of the immediate ways which all oligarchs learned is offshore, offshore accounts. Uh, and Panama Papers reveal that uh, amazingly. Uh, so as soon as they, uh, the oligarchs put their money in offshore accounts and they don't get stopped, then uh, there is a great author, Oliver Ballow, uh, who talked about this three-stage process of legalizing money. Um, as soon as they uh, get this first stage, getting the money to the Western uh, or offshore accounts, then they're really not stopped. Then they convert it into assets, second stage, and then they convert it into power and influence and uh, exerting uh, pressure on public discourse. Um, and uh, that's really corrosive and subversive. It puts the Italian mob to shame. I mean, this is, uh, you know, that, that those practices were, were invented and, and, and perfected, you know, by the Al Capones of the world. But this is at such a scale. Now we're talking about governmental scale, a government with nuclear weapons and with an immensely large military. You talk about uh, trying to uh, influence the West. And one of the things that you've been deeply involved with is trying to prevent this from happening from your alma mater. You mentioned that you went to Oxford. So I'll talk a little bit about how... Um, how the Russian oligarchs have been trying to, uh, for lack of a better word, trying to taint uh, the legacy of Oxford University, which has been around for centuries at this point, and what you've been trying to do to, to get in the way. And you, not just you, you and others have been trying to do get in the way. Um, absolutely. It's a, ho a horrible story. Uh, I, tr I uh, had the best... Uh, uh, feelings about my university and my tutors there and uh, administrators. So when in 2010, I, uh, right after I moved to the West, I learned that uh, the same oligarchs from uh, TNKBP uh, have been associated, uh, started to penetrate the university with their donations, with their joint aw business awards. Uh, I was completely sure that I, as soon as I show uh, my case and talk, um, show the evidence from WikiLeaks and other uh, sources, that uh, they would immediately carry out new due diligence and uh, revise their uh, partnerships uh, with oligarchs. Uh, to my amazement, they didn't, and I went all the way to Chancellor of University, Chris Patton, trying to persuade uh, him and his team quietly that there should be some diplomatic solution to this. Um, 
I was ridiculed, uh, sort of patronized. I was uh, sort of tacitly suggested that uh, I should, you know, just lead uh, my new life in the West. Um, and uh, one of the uh, main tutors, uh, uh, one of my former tutors and now dean of the Blavatnik School of Government told me, uh, Neri Woods, Professor Neri Woods, she told me, don't be a victim. Uh, to all my uh, suggestions to her to try to l look for a solution. Um, so I had to uh, raise um, a public campaign and uh, th there are quite a few people who support me um, and uh, there is a petition online on change.org uh, which is now signed by almost 500 people. Yeah, well, so we'll, we'll put the link to that uh, in the blurb, the actual explanation of this podcast. So if you're looking to see that petition, I'm not going to read the long, long, long thing, but we'll put the official link to that petition on uh, this, this on the the blurb for this podcast, so people can see it. Um, I appreciate this. Um, in a nutshell, uh, the what we did so far is we published uh, an open letter signed by many uh, famous Russian dissidents, political activists, and not only Russian, uh, uh, European, and uh, from other former Soviet Union countries. Uh, so we published it uh, in The Guardian uh, on 3rd of November. Uh, the only response from Oxford was sort of um, a parrot-style press release saying that they have the best uh, due diligence process in the world, uh, and uh, it's all for the benefit of the world, and um, uh, they, had, they carried out their due diligence. Um, after sending some freedom of information requests and talking to people, uh, we learned that they didn't have a single uh, Russian-speaking person on due diligence committee. They had two people who actually failed in their own due diligence in their own industries. So one a banker uh, and one um, uh, now former security person uh, who actually was not promoted in Cameron's government because of her links with oligarchs. Yeah. Well, uh, that's convenient. Th th um, yes, yeah. that's uh, world-class uh, due diligence standards. Um, and uh, uh, when I tried to raise this, the same issue during alumni weekend uh, in Washington, uh, which Oxford University uh, had uh, in April this year, uh, when I spoke at the uh, key, uh, when I raised my hand and tried to speak uh, at the Q&A session of um, the panel discussion with Susan Rice and some other dignitaries, uh, Oxford Security ran to me, like in Putin's Russia, grabbed me, uh, uh, and basically essentially closed my mouth, and uh, I was taken out as a criminal as in front of 300 people, and uh, they told me if I appear again, uh, I, will be, I will face criminal charges, just for trying to raise one question on oligarchs. Well, you, you talked about the, the name of the, uh, this business school, uh, the Blavatnik School. Let's talk a little bit about him, because as far as I can research... This guy is a U.S. philanthropist. This guy has been given to some great causes. He's an American citizen. Why shouldn't I think that? Well, uh, he actually wants to present himself uh, as a U.S. philanthropist. Um, obviously, he moved to U.S. Uh, through the same refugee program as I moved, uh, uh, through the same program for uh, Jewish, uh, Jewish relatives, um, as I did uh, in, uh, later. Uh, but he kept his links with uh, all his uh, buddies uh, in, among oligarchs, uh, and uh, he, uh, he, he's been involved in many questionable things in the 1990s, but that's not my main concern with him. 
Uh, my uh, biggest concern with him is that uh, during this corporate trading uh, in 2008-2009, he always towed the line which was, as a shareholder, he had uh, um, a big stake in the company, uh, 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 and uh, he always towed the line of Russian security services. Uh, the security man controlled by Russian oligarchs actually libeled me and participated actively in uh, harassing Western managers uh, and f try, uh, helping fabricate this case. Um, he never voted against uh, any of the uh, aggressive uh, moves and steps by Russian oligarchs. Uh, and uh, he never spoke against uh, propaganda uh, and libel on uh, TV or media. Uh, against me, against uh, other Western managers, against British Council. Uh, British Council is one of the main uh, partners of Oxford University. It's a, because it's a, an educational uh, organization in the United Kingdom. Uh, it's been uh, wronged uh, all the way from Dmitry Medvedev to uh, tabloids in Russia, but no message from US philanthropist Len Blavatnik. And then uh, this whole um, uh, picture, uh, this whole um, uh, takeover which can be followed in WikiLeaks um, and which I have uh, excruciatingly uh, put down on paper in, my in, in the documents uh, linked to, my to, to our petition. Uh, it all led to uh, the biggest offshore deal in Russian history in 2012-2013 where uh, Putin and Sechin personally orchestrated uh, uh, a sale, uh, uh, take um, a sale of 10 KBP to Rosneft, and these uh, oligarchs received uh, 28 billion dollars in cash, uh, which everyone sensible who studies Russia uh, understands it was an unfair deal for Russian people and Russian budget. These people got overpaid by around eight to 10 billion dollars. That's with a B, just to make sure everyone knows. It's billion with a B that yes, we're talking it's, about. Yes, yeah. and uh, uh, they now invest all this money in the West. Uh, including uh, uh, into Oxford. Uh, it's a good deal. You get two, three billion uh, ex excessively over the market price for your assets, and then you spend 75 million pounds on good governance and uh, good government school and get your name on it. So the Russian people, through the Russian government, are spending billions of dollars paying it to Russian oligarchs that are basically part of the government in the first place. Kind of like the money is being redistributed from the people, from the budget, from, you know, social programs to these oligarchs that are all tied directly to Putin. Absolutely, yes. And it's been a, sort of a traditional scheme within Putin's government. It's not the first case, but it's, it's uh, the biggest. Uh, and uh, uh, Panama Papers actually revealed that uh, Len Blavatnik continues to have strong ties with Russian government because uh, uh, his company called Amedia uh, has, uh, sorry, Amedia Teka, has uh, uh, a joint business uh, with Deputy Minister of Russian Internal Affairs. And for Americans, think of the Department of the Interior or something like that that deals with national parks. The Minister of Internal Affairs in Russia is not somebody that looks at national parks. No, he's not. It's, it's uh, MVD. It's uh, the ministry which employs most of these gross human rights violators right. listed on the U.S. Congress list that I mentioned before. It's, one of, it's the main ministry which harasses Russian opposition. Uh, and uh, involved in many operations with Ukraine, with Georgia, uh, with uh, uh, any critical opinion within Russia. Uh, it's involved with many, in many criminal investigations uh, in the West, which are stopped by that ministry. 
like Spanish prosecution, investigation of Putin's activity, and his cronies from St. Petersburg. Uh, this MVD uh, has uh, really blocked it in many ways. So, um, and it's just one tiny thing about uh, uh, continued connections between these oligarchs and Russian government and uh, security services. I've talked to you about Blue Apron in the past, and I'm so glad they have continued to support SpyCast. Blue Apron seems to have been invented for someone like me. I don't have a lot of time to shop and think about what to eat every day. My days are long, and it's so tempting just to say forget it and get carry out if I'm forced to decide on cooking. And most importantly, I suck at cooking, which is a bit of a problem when talking about feeding myself. Blue Apron solves all of these issues. For less than $10 per meal, Blue Apron delivers seasonal recipes along with pre-portioned ingredients to make delicious home-cooked meals. They do this because Blue Apron knows that when you cook with incredible ingredients, you make incredible meals. So they set high-quality standards for their community of artisanal suppliers, family-run farms, fisheries, and ranchers. For example, seafood is sourced sustainably under the standards developed by partnership with the Monterey Bay Aquarium Seafood Watch. Their beef is raised humanely. Chickens are free-range. Pork is raised naturally. And regenerative farming practices are used for produce. So whether it's Japanese ramen noodles, wild-caught Alaskan salmon, or heirloom tomatoes, Blue Apron is bringing you the best. Blue Apron also gives you variety. New recipes are created weekly and are not repeated within a year. So you can choose your meals from a variety of recipes or let Blue Apron's culinary team surprise you. They're also flexible. Customize your recipes each week based on your preferences. Choose delivery options to fit your needs. There's no weekly commitment, so you only get deliveries when you want them. This is great for someone like me who travels for work. If I'll be out of town, I can just switch the delivery to the following week, and I never miss out on great Blue Apron food. And it's easy. Each meal comes with a step-by-step, easy-to-follow recipe card and pre-portioned ingredients and can be prepared in 40 minutes or less, even by someone like me. So check out this week's menu and get your first three meals free with free shipping by going to blueapron.com slash spycast. You will love how good it feels and tastes to create incredible home-cooked meals with Blue Apron, so don't wait. That's blueapron.com slash spycast. Blue Apron, a better way to cook. So for Americans that don't care about Oxford University, although we, we should, but let, let's bring it a little bit closer to home. Volvotnik, which we've talked about now with Penema Papers are showing him dealing with the Russian Ministry of Internal Affairs. We talked about him uh, getting all this kickback money from you know, the, oil, the oil takeover. Uh, you didn't talk about the fact that actually there's two cases that he's being uh, you know, investigated or fined by the Department of Justice here in the United States. But they are – they, he, and others are donating directly to American politicians, to American companies, running American businesses, academic institutions. I, I was very sad when I saw this, invested in a very popular Broadway musical that's going on right now. So can you talk a little bit about his, his ties – or not just his. Let's bring it beyond him because it's more than – some of these old Russian oligarchs' ties to institutions that we consider very Western, very American, that where we'd be very surprised if we heard that there's the hand of the Russian government involved in this. Uh, firstly, I want to say that I don't have information that uh, Blavatnik and other oligarchs received uh, specifically a kickback. Right. But uh, there's overwhelming evidence. I get uh, to say that. You don't have yeah. <laughs> Oh, There's overwhelming evidence that uh, they received excessive money. Right. And Putin himself criticized this deal. Just eight months after he approved it, he pretended in late 2013 that 
it was the decision of Russian oligarchs to run it through offshores. So, so he, uh, in a typical KGB style, he diverted attention away from the uh, overall excessive sum of the deal to the fact that it was run through offshores and uh, uh, didn't pay enough taxes to Russian budget. But there are both problems with that deal, uh, which Oxford University has many experts uh, to actually acknowledge, but they just deliberately don't want to, 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 to look at any of these events. Um, uh, to return back to oligarchs, uh, so it's not only Blavatnik which um, uh, have been involved uh, in UK and US, but also the other tanky, uh Russians call them tankers, tankiste, uh, oligarchs. So it's uh, Michael Friedman, Piotr Avin, uh, Viktor Wechselberg, German Hahn, and uh, Blavatnik. Uh, so these people all received... Uh, excessive uh, cash from uh, Russian government. Uh, they all participated in this corporate trading uh, against BP. But then uh, they uh, really have huge outreach and uh, connections in the West. So uh, Friedman and Avin had, uh, even before Blavatnik, they had a joint business award with Said Business School in Oxford uh, uh, between 2007 and 2011. And this is the part. This part of the company Alpha. Is that what you're talking yes, about? Yes, yeah. it's it's uh, part of Alpha. They are heads of Alpha Bank, and um, the, these people um, uh, were essentially deciding who is doing the best investment into Russia uh, with that award. Um, and so it was McDonald's, Intel, uh, Unilever, Danone, uh, uh, these sort of uh, companies that received these awards from their hands. Uh, right at the time as we now know, when one of the subsidiaries of Alpha, Wimpelcom, the, the company which they essentially control, was investigated by Department of Justice and Dutch authorities uh, in 17 jurisdictions over uh, one of the biggest bribe cases uh, in uh, modern history. Uh, they, uh, and uh, in February this year, Department of Justice uh, fined Wimpelcom $795 million dollars uh, and uh, Wimpelcom confirmed that they did wrong and they did they involved themselves in criminal activity. I mean, that's a seven hundred and ninety-five million dollars is an extraordinary. Uh, it's uh, so. uh, the department. Uh, the the department in uh, DOJ called it the biggest uh, uh, cryptocracy uh, uh, asset case. Uh, so, I my suspicion is that's why Oxford University closed uh, that joint award. Uh, quietly, and now they erased all the information about this deal, uh, about this joint award, because they learned about this investigation. Uh, I'm not, I don't have information about these specific oligarchs uh, o operating these schemes, but it's, it, uh, no one questioned them how much they knew about this. It's their main company, which ran tens of millions of dollars of bribes to Uzbekistan, to uh, Gulnara Karimova and her associates, uh, the president's daughter, in 17 jurisdictions. So uh, th th that thing was happening in Oxford. Uh, other things, uh, in, uh, uh, they, uh, these oligarchs have had a very close association with Cannon Institute uh, at Wilson Center. And uh, so Victor Wechselberg received an award there in 2007, and Piotr Ivan uh, received a corporate citizenship award uh, on 3rd of November uh, last year. Uh, and uh, 
he was uh, he he invited uh, uh, Lesen, uh the guy who got killed on Dupont Circle, yeah. to that ceremony, and that ceremony took place just a couple of days before Lesen's uh, very strange death. Um, these uh, oligarchs have uh, are now publicly announcing that uh, they are expanding their lobbying activity in Washington, and that they're investing three billion dollars in the U.S. healthcare. Uh, and uh, they already have um, a lot of in investments in in U.S. in real estate and in in, in London. They have investments in uh, Uber, uh, in telecommunications. Um, all of that, uh, mo a lot of that money is coming from that uh, corporate reading and that uh, excessive deal in 2012, 2013. Well, I, look, I, I get it. I, I believe you. But I want to make sure that the listener is on the same page and they can make their own decision for themselves. It can sound to some, and, and if I were Putin, I would be arguing against this, saying, well, yeah, there's a lot of shady Russian companies. There's a lot of shadiness going on at some of the highest levels of Russian industry. But why are you trying to blame me for all this? How can we trace this back to Putin? How can, how, what is the evidence that says this is all being run or at least signed off on? Or at the very, very least, he knows about it and he's looking the other way. How can we trace this all the way to the top of, of the Russian hierarchy? Well, firstly, these oligarchs have had very close relationship with Putin and his very close associates since the early 1990s. So uh, Ivan and Friedman have been friends and partners, business partners with, uh, and worked in the same, sometimes worked in the same state department with uh, Mikhail Fratkov and uh, 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 Surkov, some of the people who, who we know are associated with Russian security. Uh, Fratkov is currently head of SVR. Uh, uh, secondly, my case shows that security personnel uh, in Tank KBP, uh, who was fully controlled by uh, Russian shareholders, cooperated with Fazbeck closely in fabricating and harassing Western managers. There is no doubt about that. Uh, there are audio recordings uh, with libelous statements from court proceedings. There are documents. Uh, and one of the uh, uh, protocols of searches from my case, which I'm passing to you, mm -hmm is uh, it actually shows that a, a very strange relationship between uh, oligarchs and uh, Russian security services. So during the searches, which took place in 2008, Russian uh, security found out that governmental relations department uh, of Russian shareholders actually copies uh, a lot of documents from Russian government. And there is exchange between Patrushev and Zubkov. There is there are letters on uh, with headers of Rosneft and Gazprom to the government. Uh, all sorts of draft laws, uh, secret protocols, all copied and uh, w were present in uh, GR department of TNKBP. But uh, FSB didn't do anything with this information. They kept it low. Uh, so th this is. Uh, just maybe minor, but evidence. Right. Uh, to, be, to return to a broader uh, picture, uh, Putin is very happy with these people to uh, invest their money in um, all sorts of assets uh, in the West. Um, it's a, in a way, it's a, uh, it's a perfect uh, way to present these people as private businessmen, not so much associated with the regime, uh, who, but who, uh, whose money actually come with the help from Kremlin. Right. And uh, it's a way to circumvent sanctions. 
Um, well, how does Russia Today play into this? Because I think that a lot of Americans are now becoming more and more familiar with this TV channel that is claiming to be a independent, objective news source. Most of us have it on our cable or direct TV or whatever. Uh, and they have some very high-level Americans and Westerners as either uh, correspondents or as speakers. The former director of the Defense Intelligence Agency, Mike Flynn, has been a frequent contributor to Russia Today. Uh, the woman running for the Green Party candidacy for president, Jill Stein, has been a Russia Today contributor. It seems legit on face. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about why it's not? Well, uh, because uh, a lot has changed since Soviet times. In Soviet times, uh, uh, Russian pro uh, Soviet propaganda had to present an ideological stance and talk about uh, developments within Soviet Union and Warsaw Pact and then try to be critical of the West. Now, the, uh, the Russia Today only deals with the West and uh, has only to uh, sow div uh, divisions in the West. So the whole idea is not to present some uh, new ideology or sort of um, uh, some, some, some uh, solution, but just to sow division and uh, uh, bring in far right, far left people, uh, all sorts of freaks and uh, conspiracy theorists. And... Um, uh, show only vice and problems of the West. Never, uh, never uh, uh, critically acclaim uh, some of the achievements, right. some of the uh, good relations that the West has with the rest of the world. Only show, uh, just to try to, uh, also the idea is to um, not only sow division, but to uh, force people not to believe their own government or their media. Just to say that everyone is corrupt, all the media is corrupt everywhere, and uh, there is no difference in corruption. So Russian corruption, Chinese corruption is the same as US corruption. Uh, ro uh, you could also hint, like I've heard in, in um, Britain that some people, after watching Russia Today, they believe that Scottish referendum, uh, referendum on Scottish independence was as rigged as a uh, referendum in Crimea, which is not. Uh, so basically, it's, it's a propaganda which aims to switch off your analytical thinking and just to put in all these conspiracy theories in your head uh, and not to believe even your own neighbor. Well, and it's really nuanced. It's not like the old Soviet active measure system where they claim that we created AIDS here in the United States or that JFK was assassinated by the CIA. These are kind of tinfoil hat wearing over the top conspiracy theories. They're just subtle enough that you might go, ah, oh. you know, make, like their coverage of Ukraine is just nuanced enough that it's very, it's not so blatant. Like, oh, the Ukrainians are all Nazis. Like, yeah, of course they're not. But they're just subtle enough to talk about, you know, neo-fascists or extreme nationalists or the fact that most people in Ukraine want Russian intervention. Enough that you can't really challenge it unless you're really at a high level of understanding. Yes, I think uh, in a way we're uh, back to battle of ideas. Uh, even if we'll, uh, there is a lack of ideology on the other side and just cynicism, uh, some of these uh, ideas are subversive and can be shown as subversive. So, for example, some of these cultural centers in Washington, they only bring Putin's loyalists uh, and present them to establishment here. So we can expose that. That shows bias. But uh, some of this discourse uh, uh, is um, 
uh, it's difficult to just um, name tag as uh, subversive. Uh, pe so people are saying, let's not have another Cold War. Let's um, find diplomatic solutions, even when Russia attacks Ukraine. And there is no immediate diplomatic solution. Uh, uh, for example, when they try, try to counteract U.S. Congress decision to provide lethal weapons to, to Ukraine. Uh, so they would in, uh, there are many, uh, again, as I repeat, useful idiots or people who genuinely believe that, who uh, engage in this all sorts of um, uh, uh, discourses which are useful to Putin, but uh, uh, which can only be uh, met with uh, details, facts. Uh, so, for example, uh, you would say to many uh, people who say we shouldn't have another post, uh, another Cold War, you should say that it's not Cold War, that it's uh, 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 that this. Um, uh, that, that uh, Russia and some post-Soviet states y use uh, NATO as a pretext, that they attack themselves. So uh, you have to look at uh, each uh, incident and uh, bring back uh, analytical TV, bring back uh, analytical articles uh, and evidence and uh, engage youth from both sides, uh, engage uh, uh, Russian-speaking or Kazakh-speaking, Azerbaijani-speaking opposition uh, who know details right. um, and uh, I think uh, it's a game for a long term uh, which uh, is not going away quickly and uh, 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 people uh, in the West should start to not only see uh, I, I am all for critical thinking and about your own government about your own parties but um, to see things in perspective and uh, uh, compare uh, things in the West and in Russia and start to value your own democracy, start to value what you already have. Even if it's tarnished and not perfect, it's still uh, completely... So, Scottish referendum might not have been perfect, but it's definitely different from uh, referendum in Crimea, which was done under uh, the gunpoint. We would like to thank our two sponsors for today's SpyCast, Harry's and Blue Apron. Harry's will give you $5 off the first purchase with the promo code SPYCAST. Go to harrys.com right now and look for the Truman set. That's H-A-R-R-Y-S.com. Enter code SPYCAST at checkout to get $5 off and help support the show. And check out this week's menu and get your first three meals free with free shipping by going to blueapron.com slash SPYCAST. That is blueapron.com slash SPYCAST. Well, Ilya Zaslavsky is working tirelessly to get this message out, so we're going to help him do it uh, on the blurb for this podcast. You can find that link to the change.org petition. Take a chance to read it. Uh, I expect we're going to have you back at some point in the future. We wanted to lay this out for the audience uh, for in a broad sense the first time. So thank you, Ilya, for taking the time to talk to us here today at SpyCast. I appreciate it. Thanks. Thank you for listening to SpyCast. Remember... Every Tuesday, we will post a new podcast, available from both spymuseum.org and iTunes. If you have any questions or comments about SpyCast, email us at spycast at spymuseum.org, or leave a comment or review on our iTunes page. You can also follow us on Twitter at intlspycast. That's intlspycast. Talk to you next week.